turn in your Bibles to Psalm 22. We're just going to jump right into the message. And how many of you have plans for Labor Day weekend after church? <laughs> we do too. Um, Labor Day weekend for us, Labor Day is just a day of labor in the house for us. We got a lot of labor to do in the house. And, um, and actually this weekend, uh, Victor, um, this is our last Sunday with Victor. Uh, he's been here with us for three months, and he's been um, he's been really our intern, and he's been a quiet servant, and you haven't probably heard much from him or seen much of him, but he has revolutionized a lot of the internal workings of our church and our services. So we're gonna have a little we're gonna have a little celebration for him after the service. We'll have some cake, some of his favorite cake. He doesn't know it's coming, but we figured it out. We figured it out. We figured it out, Victor. <laughs> So he's been here for us for three months, and there's a possibility he could come back in uh, around uh, New Year's. So let's pray for that, and uh, or we can steal his passport, and he's not getting on the uh, plane Tuesday. But his pastor in Warsaw will be very upset with me. I've been getting text messages from uh, Pastor Machik, and he said, and he spoke here. You guys remember him? Um, he's been hinting to me, and he's saying we're very thankful you're sending him back because it'd be very easy for us to keep him here, wouldn't it? It's been awesome. So, so this Labor Day weekend um, is just a great, it's always a great weekend to rest, and it's going to be a day where, where hopefully we can get some rest and have a break. Um, but if you open your Bibles with me to Psalm 22, I was talking to an old Baptist preacher this past week, and I was talking with him. Sometimes he'll call me, sometimes I'll call him. Really old guy, um, not, I shouldn't say old because he's not old, but he's just an old timer, like old school. And he's just got a gift to preach. And, you know, he just kind of seeks out younger, younger guys that are just doing in ministry, just starting off because this is really his passion. And sometimes he'll call me and he'll talk with me and we'll talk a little while. And he actually, he was, he actually had one of the, he had the actual largest church in Texas at one point down near the Gulf. I don't remember exactly where it was, but. Um, and he just has, his family is just in ministry, and, and he just loves ministry. And, you know, I guess when you become elderly, there's things that you just still love to do, but your body doesn't do it anymore. And so you just, he, he reached it out to me sometimes. We talk maybe once a month. And we were talking, and he just, you know, I could tell he's an old preacher, because he'll get talking, and he'll start preaching to me on the phone. <laughs> you know, the, the booming voice, he was a big guy. He actually came and saw, he came, actually drove all the way down from Fort Worth just to see us, and see our building here, and he um, he was talking to me about sheep and shepherds, and we were talking for a while, and I said, I go, Sam, I said, you are inspiring me right now. God's speaking to me through you, and God just put this on my heart to just talk about the good shepherd. Now, I want to approach this in a way that it's not going to sound like maybe what you've heard before. We'll hit some very familiar points, but um, there's some real fresh stuff here that I would like to share with you about the shepherd of Jesus being the shepherd being Jesus Christ and the three types of shepherd that he is for us. And in Psalm 22, Psalm 23 and Psalm 24 is where we see these three aspects. Now why is it important for us to understand who the shepherd is? Because we as human beings are related to it. There's a metaphor in the Bible that we find over 400 times that describes human beings that's related to us more than any, any other metaphor in the Bible, and that is what? Sheep. Sheep. And I want to talk about that in another time, but we are called sheep. 
And Jesus is called the great shepherd. And when there's description in the Bible of good leadership and maybe even bad leadership, many times this description of leadership is used as a metaphor as shepherd, shepherding. And so I want to just talk about the shepherdness of Christ and how he shepherds us. Psalm 22, Jesus, he is the, he is the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd in, uh, in Psalm 23, and he's the chief shepherd in, 20, in Psalm 24. In Psalm 22, we see the cross. In Psalm 23, we see the crook, which is the shepherd's crook, which is his staff and his rod. And in Psalm 24, we see the crown, the king's crown. And that's the outline for these three chapters I want to look at. In Psalm 22, we see his cross, and we're going to look at that in a minute. We see that, we see that this Psalm 22 speaks about the past. It speaks about Christ as our Savior and that he's our foundation and that he gave us his life. Psalm 23, we see his rod and staff, we see his guidance. And that speaks of the present. It speaks of he is our satisfier. Number, number three, he's the manifestation of the heart of God. And number four, um, he gives us his love. In Psalm 24, we see his crown. He speaks of the future in Psalm 24. He is sovereign, and he is the expectation of everything that we would ever desire, and that he's coming. And number four, he gives us light. When, we, when he shall appear. In Psalm 22, I'd like to look at that and just turn to Psalm 22. And as you're turning there, um, I'm going to quote to you Isaiah 45, verse 11. And it says this, that God truly is a God that dwells in darkness. He hides himself, it says. God hides himself in darkness. And I want to talk about that this morning, if the Lord will bless that and if the Lord will give it. Have you ever felt like that you were in darkness? You ever felt like God is hiding himself from you? Of course, nobody in this room, right? <laughs> Have there been times in your life where you've cried out to God and you've been in a lot of pain or your big, big questions, right? And you're thinking, where is God? Right, Pat? I bet Pat's ever, I bet Pat's done that. She's a mom. She's a grandmother. All right. Have you ever cried out to the Lord? Where are you, God? And, and then there's, there just, just seems to be some, sometimes silence. And we, write, we read here in this, the writer of Psalms, David, in Psalm 22 is writing and actually, Psalm 22 is an incredible psalm because as we read this psalm, it's impossible to not think of the cross. It's impossible to not think of the crucifixion and the suffering that's going on the cross. And if that's the case, then you're exactly right because this is what was on Jesus' mind as he was dying on the cross. He was thinking of Psalm 22. And how do we know that? Well, let's look at verse 1. My God, my God, why has he forsaken me? Jesus is on the cross and he starts quoting scripture. Now, Jesus is the son of God and everything that Jesus did and everything, everywhere that Jesus went and every miracle that he did and every, every waking moment he was awake, his mind was just meditating on scripture. He was thinking about scripture because he was the one who is scripture. Jesus is the, the incarnation of the written word of God. He's the Logos in John chapter one. Everything that we would ever want to know or need to know about God, we can see in the life of Christ. Christ is the manifestation of the Father, and he's called the good shepherd. And it's interesting that God would call a shepherd, David, the shepherd, to write about Jesus Christ as the shepherd. And we read here, Jesus here is quoting the scripture. Jesus is on the cross. He's in a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. His heart is actually broken for his nation because of the betrayal of his nation. His heart is broken because his disciples have all fled. He is very, very broken. He feels betrayed. And there's a lot of pain inside and outside on his body. No man has ever suffered like this man has ever 
has ever suffered. And no man will ever suffer like this man has suffered. Because Jesus Christ here is suffering for us. He's our suffering Savior. And he cries out in verse 1. And David says here, and I, I want to read this psalm. We understand that David wrote this psalm, but I want to read it from the perspective of what is going through Christ's mind as he's on the cross. And so he's suffering. He's on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why does he say, my God? Every time that Jesus prays or every time Jesus is speaking to his father, he uses the word what? Father, right? This is the relationship that Jesus had with his dad, with his father, Abba Father. He called him father. But here for the first time that we can ever, that we can read in scripture, Jesus does not address his father as father, but he addresses him as God. Why does he do that? Because at that moment, we know at at that moment, all the sins of the world, past, present, and future. I think that sometimes when we think of the sins of our own life, and we think of the sins of our family, and then we think of sins of people that have been in our life, that have done things to us or we've done things to them, that's just overwhelming in itself, isn't it? But think of that times billions and billions and billions, and all of that is on Jesus Christ at that moment. Why does he do this? Because God so loved you. God so loved you, right? God so loved you. Not that we qualified for this love, not that we could attain to it, not that we did something or that that God owed us this love. God so loved the world. This is one of the greatest mysteries of the New Testament, of the Bible, is that God so loved me. That just blows me away. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? We read that verse, John 3, 16. Don't be familiar with it. Don't get familiar with it. Let it break you. Let it speak to your heart. Let Scripture speak to your heart. Let's never, ever get familiar with Scripture. God so loved the world. He sends Jesus. Jesus is on the cross. He says, my Father, my, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why does he do that? Because this, God, Jesus cannot relate to his Father as Father right now because at that moment, God the Father has to turn his back, right? He has to turn away because the prophet Hosea said that God cannot look upon evil, not even for a second. God cannot look at it. And God has to turn away. And when God turns away, what happens? Jesus feels that. Jesus feels the shadow of God's face no longer looking at him. We read in James chapter 1 where it says that that there's no shadow of turning with God. You know what that means? That means that God, who is full of light, who is the God of light, is continually looking at us all the time, forever, at all times. And we were talking about this at one of our Wednesday night fellowships here. Is that God is continually staring at you, not in a judgmental way, not in an embarrassed way, not in a way of disappointment or disgust. God is looking at you because he loves you. And he's looking at us, he never looks away. He never looks away. And if, if God was to ever look away in James chapter one, there'd be a shadow on us because he's all light, right? And that's what James means in James chapter one. There's no shadow of turning. If God was to look away from you for a second, there'd be a shadow. And that shadow would be a place for Satan. It would be a place for the devil. It would be a place for demonic activity. It would be a place of disapproval and judgment. And God never has looked, God never looks away from you and I in James chapter 1. Why? Because he turns away from his son. He turns away from his son. Just think about this in, here in, in, in chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? He has to say, my God. He can't say, my father. So the next thing he can say is my God. And why does he say my God? Because of submission. Because of respect. Because of his place in the Trinity. Because of his undeniable commitment 
to walk through this crucifixion for us. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And he says, if, you're, if you can't be my father right at this moment, if you have to look away, I will not, I will not, I will not be angry. I will not be fearful. I will not, I will not, I will not feel betrayed. I will call you my God. And so he says, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And this is the darkest moment in Jesus's life. We got to look at it this way. Jesus, although he's human and he lived in time, in a timeline, he's also eternal. And that meant every moment for him was an eternal moment. Now let's grasp our minds around this, okay? For us, okay, six hours of suffering on the cross. Okay, that's, maybe that's doable for somebody, six hours or one hour or 20 minutes or, or 10 minutes, right? I can suffer that long. For Jesus, because not only is he in the timeline of time, now follow me with this, he's experiencing it, he's experiencing the minutes and the time, but there's another part of him that's eternal that he's experiencing this as if it would never, ever end. He is experiencing this in eternal moment. That means he's in this eternal sense. He's touching the eternal reality of being separated from his father. He's experiencing what people would experience in hell when people go to hell because they've done, not because of what their sin or what they did, but because they turned away and they rejected that salvation, that free gift of eternal life. And I think in the future, I'd like to talk about what does the Bible say about hell in some real specifics and, and, and get away from maybe the, um, maybe some of the misnomers that we have about what it is, but what does the Bible really say about hell? And so Jesus experiences these moments of an eternal separation from his father. And he's like, my God, my God, why has that forsaken me? One commentator puts it this way, that he didn't even just say it once. He said it over and over and over and over on the cross. He, did, he is starting to quote Psalm 22 because Psalm 22 is a psalm that's written by David that God was going to use in Jesus' life so that Jesus, as he's suffering, he can meditate on it. But he doesn't get beyond verse 1, right? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? I think there's times when we feel like God has forsaken us and that God has hidden his face from us. He says in verse 2, My God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night, in the night season, and I'm not silent. Right? And what we see here in Psalm 22 is that he goes, there's this kind of this up and down. Like there's this, he's, 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 he's down. He's talking about his desperation. And then there's this up moment where he's saying, But thou art holy in verse 3. He's confessing, he's worshiping Christ. I mean, he's worshiping God, his Father. Um, and this is what we do in the hard times. And somebody shared this with me this week, is that we're walking through hardship, and we're walking through difficult times, and we don't necessarily see the face of God. We worship our way through it. What is worship? Worship and praise are two, two different things. Worship is when we are focusing and concentrating on the nature and the character of God, who he is, his nature, his veracity, his holiness, his immutability, his unchangingness, his omnipotence, his, his, his all power, his all knowledge. And when we look at that, we stand in awe. It says in, in Psalm chapter 4, we stand in awe in the presence of God. And we, it's impossible. When we, when we stand in awe of the presence of God, it says in, in Psalm 4, and also in the book of Ephesians, it says, stand in awe and sin not. You know what that means? Is that when we live in awe, when we live in, in worship, we're not going to be erring. We're not going to be functioning in error in the plane of God. Does that make sense? I think sometimes we just fight with sin. I've got to fight with this sin. I've got to fight this habit, right? 
and we roll up our sleeves <laughs> and the energy and the power of flesh and it's like we can't we can't beat it because we ourselves are sold under sin in Romans chapter 6 but when we look at God and we see in, in verse 3 here thou art holy there's this awe and this majesty that comes into our heart and there's this this beautiful moment of awe and silence and wonder before the Lord because he is holy and he is God but Jesus here is is crying out in verses 1 and 2 David is saying this, but we can also attribute it this to Jesus' thought process. He says, I'm experiencing this. And the humanity of Christ is speaking now. He's a human being. He's in this place where, where he doesn't hide his, human, his humanity. It's hard for him. Right? Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, um, Lord, if it be your will that this cup would pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. That's his humanity praying. Jesus is not doubting and he's not ready to quit the plan of God, but his humanity, his humanity is speaking out. He said, this is hard. This is unbelievable. And if it be your will, I, I petition you that you would deliver this cup from me. And it wasn't God's will. It was God's will that the cup goes through, that he drinks the whole cup. And so we see the humanity here of Christ. And in verse three, but you are holy and thrown in the praises of Israel. Praise is something different than worship. Praise is when we are thanking God and we are glorifying and we are making great the things that he's done in our past, the things that he's done in our life. And I think that when God is hidden, when we feel like God is hidden in our life and we can't see him, we can't really, we can't look forward to the future because the future doesn't look so bright either. We need to look back at the past and remember all the great deeds that he did. Remember how God was so faithful. My wife and I sometimes talk about this, you know, when when we're facing something, we're like, do you remember how God was faithful that time and that time? And I think sometimes at the dinner table, instead of talking about domestic issues, just take some time and just talk about just everyone in the family, go around, take your turn, and just talk about what did God do in your mind, in your heart, in your life today? What did God do? That would be great, wouldn't it? This is what praise means. Praise of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. Jesus is looking back at the, he's, he, Jesus is a Jew and he's looking at his nation and, and the faithfulness of God to the fathers of Israel. And he said, they trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you in verse five and they were delivered. They trusted in you and they were not embarrassed or ashamed, right? He begins to, pray, he begins to worship God in the, in the trial. Pain, suffering, blood, thirst, fatigue, okay? Verses one and two talk about internal anguish. Verses 3 through 5 talk about just by faith he begins to worship God. And when you and I do that, we don't feel anything. (laughs) If you've ever been in a situation in your life where everything is imploding, right? And you don't feel like, hey, praise the Lord, God is good all the time. It's like you're just saying, it's almost like this. God, I remember you were faithful. I remember how the... It's kind of like this thing you're reciting by faith. He says in verse 6, but I'm a worm and no man. This kind of worm that's described here is the same word that's described as God calls Jacob, thou worm. Fear not, thou worm. Remember that portion of scripture? Don't be afraid, Jacob, you worm. And that's not an insulting thing. A worm here that it's being related to is a little red worm that was so red and so bright that birds could see it very easily from the air. It was prime prey. Like if that worm peeked its head out of the soil for a minute, he could be gone. Because this worm was in a very, very vulnerable place. It was a, it was a place where this worm was defenseless and, and could not help itself. And it was in a place where it could be easily seen and spotted. 
and says, I am no, I am, I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by people. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where in your life where you've made a decision in your personal life or your public life and there is, there's mockery. There is, you have this thing put on you. You feel like this cloak of shame and embarrassment and reproach and that you're being mocked. And, and in verse seven, all those who see me ridicule me, right? And here's Jesus on the cross. He's there, people ridiculing him. Can you imagine that? They shoot out the lips saying, they shake their heads saying, if he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Hey, you know what? If you're a Christian, God's going to deliver you. Guess what? Does God deliver Jesus? No, Jesus dies on the cross. There's moments when you and I are in a place, a very hard place in our Christian life. Maybe for what we believe, maybe what for, for what we stand for. And we're ridiculed and we're put up against the wall. And people misunderstand our actions and misunderstand why we're doing things. And Paul said to the Corinthians, the more I love you, the less you guys love me. Why? Because people don't have a capacity to be loved naturally. That People don't know what to do when you love them. When you say, hey, I love you, you want to see some pretty interesting reactions to people, people you don't even know? <laughs> like, you love me? What do you know about me? Like, what, are you weird or something? Or... And so he trusted in the Lord, and they begin to mock him. Do you know why? Because we don't know what to do when we see somebody suffering. I remember living in Ukraine, and it was a time when Ukraine had just come out from under communism, and there was, the whole infrastructure of the country was wrecked. It was a disaster. It was a mess. And we just didn't know if the Russian tanks were coming in. At any, I mean, at any moment, there could have been war. And this was in 1991 and 92. And I just remember, like, walking down the street, just seeing poverty and a lot of mental illness it's incredible i just remember walking down the street and there was this probably this man in his 50s and he was pretty pretty well dressed but he was just out of his mind he was and he was saying he was talking to people he was saying i used to be a professor in the university and because of the infrastructure and people had lost in a matter of days their entire retirement fund because the crash of the ruble people just lost their minds they lost their homes they lost everything i remember this man walking down the street and he was just stopping people on the street and he was saying, I used to be a professor. This is my name. Look me up. You'll, and, and now I have nothing. And I remember this man's just his despair and just this unbelievable. And I remember seeing that and being ashamed. Like I didn't know what to, I, didn't, I was like, I was like, I kept walking. Like I didn't, because you know, when we, we are used to seeing strong things. We're used to gazing at strong people, nice looking cars, beautiful homes, lovely life, great lawns. You know, we're used to that. But when we look at something broken and decrepit and embarrassing, we just, we look away. That's Psalm 50, that's Isaiah 53. You looked away at my suffering. And we don't know how to deal with it. And so people mock, they mocked Christ here. And in verse nine, he goes back to truth. He begins, he goes back to worship. He says, but you took me out, but you are he who took me out of the womb. Jesus is talking about coming out of Mary's womb. You made, me, you made me trust while I was my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. You have been my God. Verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there's none to help. And so Jesus here begins to feel distance. Verse 11, verse 12 is a very interesting verse, and I want to take a second and explain what it means. Many bulls have surrounded me. The strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. Now that's a... 
That's a unique verse, and you have to understand what is Bashan and what are bulls. And I want to just look at that for a second. Bashan was a beautiful part of Israel, very, very fertile place, extremely beautiful. And whatever cattle and whatever wildlife lived in Bashan grew very large. And it was a place of prosperity. There was nothing that lacked there. And these animals would grow up, and they would, they would have, they'd had huge appetites. And Bashan was a place that was known for its, its beautiful, beautiful place and its, and its animals. And it says here, the bulls of Bashan. And what, what happened sometimes in Bashan would be there these large bulls. And sometimes they would wander around and they would just gore people. They would just kind of prey on people because of their appetites. And, and these bulls would kind of wander around. And when, they, when people, locals, would see these large bulls, they would wonder, what can we do? And they would feel in this sometimes a, a time of, of helplessness. And he says here, the strong bulls. But you know something? That word bull is not in the original language here. You'll notice if maybe in your Bible there's italics there. And when, the, when scripture, when translations put a word in italics, a lot of times that word is not in the original language. So it would say like this, the strong of Bashan. The strong of Bashan. The strong people of a place of prosperity and fertile ground and no need and, and great blessing and, and abundance and prosperity. The strong people of that background are the ones that says, they stand gaping their mouths at me like a raging lion. Wow, what a picture. You know what this speaks to me about? Is that sometimes the greatest prosecutors, the greatest persecutors in our lives are the people that come from, that don't come from any place of suffering in their life. Sometimes the people, the, sometimes the people that give you and I the most, you know, that persecute the people of God the most are people that have never suffered a minute in their life. And they have no capacity for suffering. I had someone say something to me this week and I, I just understand, you know, it's like, you know, it's not here. Someone had made a comment to me about something and just minimized. And I just thought, you know, something, instead of being angry about someone's lack of sensitivity, just understand they've never suffered a, a minute in their life. And it's okay. They just have never suffered. And it's sad to see here that, that Jesus is describing some of the greatest persecutors are people that were seem to be lived in such prosperity and without lack in their life. And they were the greatest persecutors and the people with the last, with the last ounce of, with the, with the least amount of compassion. And these are the strong ones of Bashan. Um, and we don't like suffering because it makes us weak. And in verse 13, they gape at me with their mouths. What does that mean? They're open, their mouths are open. They're ready to devour. They're ready to eat you alive. They're looking at you, and they're coming at you. They're ready to chow down. They're looking at you. I don't know. I mean, this, you know, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. But this is something where, like, you're just like, what? <laughs> I'm just this little worm. What do you want to, like, you know, why do you want to eat me? They want to be devoured. And, you know, the sad thing here is, is that many times prosperity and our, and our abundance that we've had in our lives sometimes brings us to a place of lack of sensitivity, and we can easily attack. And we need to be, we need to be so careful of that. Verse 14 so verse 12 and 13, Jesus is talking about his vulnerability. I feel vulnerable. In and, and, and verse, verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted with me. You ever have a, did you ever feel like your heart is at wax? It just melts inside of you, meaning like, I don't mean, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about falling in love with somebody, but when you have been just hit with some bad news or you feel threatened and you feel your courage has just gone out the window and it's just kind of gone out of you like water, this is where Jesus was at. Jesus says, I'm poured out. I'm physically exhausted. 
I've given my last ounce of energy for this nation. And I'm now I'm pouring out every ounce of my blood. He said, I'm poured out like wax. I'm poured out. My heart's like wax. It's melted with me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirred. Verse, verse 15. And my, stu- my tongue clings to my jaws. And you have brought me to the dust of death. Wow, Jesus here is at the, he's like he, is, he is at the bottom of the bottom. And let's remember, why is he doing this? It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the contradiction of sinners. But the joy that was set before him, what was the joy that was set before him? You. Not, not the guy next to you, not, not, not the woman next to you, you personally. That he saw you and he rejoices in you and he sings over you with, with joy and rejoicing. And that's what he said when we took communion is that when he ate the communion with his disciples, he said, with great desiring, I've desired to eat this with you because God desires intimacy with us. Yet our culture, the world system, the cosmos, the thing, the world that we live in is just bent on stealing your time and your energy so we got no time, no nothing left for God. I'm just finding that my son now needs to go to school. He needs to go to school earlier. He's in kindergarten. I can't believe the schedule I got for a kindergartner. <laughs> it's amazing. And it, so I've got to get up like, I'm going to get up before the, you know, I got up earlier. But now I've got to get up even earlier so I can get some time with God. Because if I don't have a minute with God, it's not going to be a great day. It's going to be a tough day. And it says here in verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. The congregation of the wicked. It's referring to people that consider themselves religious believers in God. Yet they are people that have no idea what spirituality means. The Pharisees, the self-righteous people that were in Israel at the time. The people that said, give us Barabbas instead of Christ, who was a thief and a robber. The, the, the dogs have... And this is a picture of a dying person and the animals are just kind of closing in and closer and closer and they begin to nibble on the appendages like the toes and the fingers and the hands of the dying prey. And that's exactly what's happening. It says here in the next part of the verse, it says that they pierced my hands and my feet. And that's a picture of the cross, isn't it? Jesus here is in verse 17, says, I can count all my bones and they look and stare at me. Verse 17, this is a part of the chapter where Jesus feels not only just vulnerable, but he feels exposed. He feels like he's uncovered. He goes, everybody's looking at me, you know? You ever not been properly dressed somewhere and you feel like everybody's looking at you? Like Jesus here is suffering and he's just exposed and and the whole world can see him and they're, they're ridiculing him. And they look and they stare at me. They divide my garments in verse 18 among them. When your life is almost at the end, people start talking about how are we gonna divide up the spoils? How are we gonna, who gets what, right? And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, in verse 19, do not, you, do not be far from me. O my strength, listen to me. He says, O God, Lord, right? He's talking to him. He's talking to him like God and Lord. Verse 20, deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Lots of things we could say about the power of the dog, but I won't because of time. Save me from the lion's mouth, verse 21, and deliver me from the horns of the wild auction or the bull. But then look at this next part. You have answered me. I don't know how it is in your Bible, but I know in the, in the New King James it says this. It's just like, there's like a space there, but it says, you have answered me. It's like a point in the Psalm where like, okay, God is answering me. God starts speaking to me. 
And it says, you have answered me. In verse 22, we see a turn in the, we see a turn in the, in the conversation, in the narrative here. We see Christ begins, he begins to praise and he begins to worship in verse 22. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. Who, and you who fear the Lord, praise him. All the descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor he has hidden his face from him, which is beautiful because I think when people look at your look at you or your circumstances and they think, you know, I'm really sorry about that and man, I don't know what to say and sorry, I've got to go. <laughs> There's not a lot of compassion there and we desire that. And God never turns away in embarrassment. He never turns away from our shame. And he says, it says here, he, is, he has not hidden his face from him but when he cried to him, he heard, verse 24. If there's one thing that you remember in this message, I want you to remember this. We feel that sometimes God hides himself from us because we live in a world of sight, sound, touch, and feeling, five senses. God never hides himself from us. God never is far from us. So how do we explain these moments when we don't hear his voice? How do we explain it when we, we can't see God in our life? I remember just a beautiful man of God. He had aged and he had said to me, he says, I don't see God. I don't know where he is. And I was shocked to hear that. Hear the faith of Christ. And this will happen to us sometime if it hasn't already happened to you. It may be a trial by fire. It may be what is called in the book of Ephesians, the evil day. When it comes to you, when a circumstance comes to you and you literally feel like God has forsaken you and you can name all the reasons why God did. Well, I did this and I did that. And so now I'm getting back what I deserve. Let me tell you this. Remember this, okay? You and I, what we can see, touch, feel, smell, taste is within a circle. If Just draw a circle like that in your mind, right? Just draw a circle, okay? That's what we perceive. Everything in that circle we can perceive, right? We can perceive food, we can, where we live, what we feel like, we can perceive weather and all, all of that, all of that's in that circle. But God's not always working in our circles. God's not always working in our realm of understanding. He's doing a lot outside of that. And sometimes God is just, he's just working so much in such incredible ways that we don't even see him. And what happens is, is that he's functioning outside of our circle of perception. And we say, God's left me. I don't see God. You know, it's like a little child in his room. It's dark at night. And he doesn't, he doesn't see mom and dad and he cries out for mom and dad and mom and dad can hear him as soon as he cries out, okay? Just because we can't see what God is doing does not mean that he's stopped working and that he's stopped listening. Sometimes in that circle, we'll see the hand of God or the finger of God poke through that circle and do something. We're like, oh, wait a minute. There's God moving in my life and then it'll disappear and you'll be like, what happened? I thought God was doing something. Just remember because... What we don't see and what we don't hear doesn't mean that God is hiding himself from us. Because there is no darkness in Isaiah 45 in God. The darkness is the same as light to him and the light is the same as darkness. There's no change like that for God. And so what this means is this, two things. Number one, the devil and his demons work in that circle of perception. He's chosen to make the realm, Satan, the enemy of our soul, and demonic activity, and just bad old people <laughs> have, dis- have determined to live in that circle, in, the, in our circle of perception. And so that we, all we see is just what the devil's doing sometimes. We're like, what is the devil doing? Why can't I see God working? Why can't, what is that person doing? And the devil and the enemy of our soul dis- thinks he's got the advantage because he's got the front, he's got the foreground of our attention. 
But it's really God who has the advantage because he's working in a realm that we don't see. He's working in a realm that we don't understand. And that's called faith. And that's this realm right here. That's the realm that when we start worshiping and we start looking at the nature and the veracity and the faithfulness of God and we say, He is faithful. He's been faithful in my fathers. He's been faithful in our marriage. He's been faithful in my life. He's brought me where I am today. And when we live like that, we can see the faithfulness of God. And guess what happens? We start functioning outside of Satan's zone of advantage. It's like this. When you and I start walking by faith, we start trusting his word. Guess what happens? We disappear from his radar. We go stealth. (laughs) He can't see us anymore, right? But the moment that we start functioning in the flesh, we start functioning in in our old sin nature, in our old ways, in our old mind, we pop pop back up on his radar. Why? Because the devil can't see anything spiritual. He's... he is, he is, remember when Roman, in Revelation chapter 12, he's cast down to the earth? He's in this realm of sight and sound. There's a lot to say about that. But when you and I decide, you know what? I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to be, he's going to be my Lord and God, even if I don't understand why he's not my father this moment. And at that moment, we disappear from the radar of Satan's, Satan's surveillance. Why is that? Because here's an example. I can prove it. Remember when Jesus was born? All these political leaders are looking for him. Herod's like, can you go find this king? Because I want to go worship him too. Why did Satan's kingdom not know where he was? Because of his humility. Because of his obedience to the... Because he was flying under the radar. This is so cool. And this is... We see also this happen too. Like Jesus is doing these miracles. The beginning of his ministry, he's saying to people, don't tell anybody. It's a secret. Because if you tell me, I'm going to get famous. Amy Carmichael said this, and she was an amazing missionary in India. She said this, she goes, the most dangerous thing for any Christian is fame. It's okay if we're well known, it's fine, but it's dangerous, it's a dangerous place. It's a really dangerous place. I want to close with this. Jesus here begins to praise, and he says this in verse 25, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. He's vowed to worship the Lord in the midst of this trouble. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's. He rules over the nations. And where does this happen? How does this happen? And I have one answer to that is this, is that for all nations for today, in the future, and in the past, where has the praise and the worship of God's name been? Where has been the, 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 the talking and the, of his greatness in the body of Christ, in the church? And all the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship, in verse 29, and those who go down to the dust shall bow before him. Look at this, even he who cannot keep himself alive. Wow, you ever feel that way? <laughs> I can't keep myself alive, man. Verse 30, a posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted to the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. And this is how this psalm ends. And what does that remind you of in verse 31? He has done this. It is, remember, it's the crucifixion, Psalm 22. It's a picture of, of, of the crucifixion. And what is this as a Psalm 22 ends that he has done this? What does this remind us of in John chapter 19, verse 30? It is finished right? It is finished. Our salvation, the suffering of Jesus Christ is not incomplete. It's not something that I've got to enter into to make up for something that I owe God. It's been completed. It is finished. It is finished. That means that 
when you and I are in the midst of hardship and difficulty and trouble, we can live with a finished work perspective on what's going on, thinking, you know what, in God's eyes and in eternity's eyes, this battle's over, this problem's over, this difficulty's over, this problem with my family's over, and I've already, I've been already, I'm already a winner on the other side, and God's been faithful, and we're rejoicing. And that's how we need to go through hardship, is that though we don't understand, you know, Gosh and I, my wife and I, and I had a, had just a, had a dear friend of ours tragically pass this week, and it's just been, you know, both of us are like, you know, we've been followed, we've been believers for many years, and it's still, it just comes to mind, like, how could this have happened to this guy, you know? It's just amazing who this guy, guy I like to say is, because he hasn't ceased to exist, he's in heaven. And when that happens, when the big questions come, and your faith is shaken, and you want to go back to the old ways, and you want to go back to the way you were, and the, you want to go back to the old comfort ways, don't do that. Walk by faith and live in a reality that's outside of your perception and say, you know something, I feel bad, but I'm going to worship my way through this. I'm going to look at Christ. I'm going to focus on God because you know what? Your concentration and my concentration is the most important discipline of our life. Learn how to focus, learn how to concentrate on God in your life. And when you do that, you're going to be able to focus, you know, going to be able to zero, zero right in, right through the trial and through the difficulty because you know what? Jesus has been there. And he will walk with you. And you'll, it'll be hard. It'll be difficult. But there's going to be manna along the way. And the most little, tiniest thing. And I'll just end with this, is that my mom was this kind of person that, and she had a lot of <laughs> hardship and difficulties in her life. And I just remember she would just rejoice in the little, tiniest things. You know, something would come up. And she goes, you know, like she'd find a rock somewhere. You know, she'd hold it. And she goes, this is the Lord. <laughs> it's like, what? mom, what are you talking about? You know, the Lord spoke to me through this rock. It's like, and, and I just thought, you know, now I understand that like when you walk with God, like the smallest thing can speak to you. And nobody else is going to understand it. And so when my mom passed away and we were cleaning her apartment, there was all these little knickknacks that she had gotten. She would steal, uh, she would take silverware from the airlines and we found lots of Lufthansa forks and spoons in her belongings. I don't know what she did. Just these signs and these symbols of, of God on the mission trip. And so Jesus has walked there. He is our, he is our shepherd. He is, he, is, he is worthy to lead us because he's been there. And he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. Because he knows what it means to be forsaken and he won't be forsaken. And we won't be forsaken. And that's the Christ that we, that we have. That's the shepherd that's laid his down, his light, laid down his life for the sheep in John chapter 10. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, the shepherdhood of Christ. It is such a mystery. It is something that is so easy to pass over, to not even understand, to go to church and just not even get it, not even see it. And, and Lord, we just thank you that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death which we'll talk about that next week you were with me you were with us and lord we just pray if there's someone in the room here today that's going through a very difficult time we know that there are some people here god we just pray lord that these words would be an encouragement to worship by faith when we don't feel it but we can look back at the track record of god's faithfulness in our life just pray that people don't quit today pray lord that we don't get careless that we don't just take advantage of the flesh and go our own way. Lord, we pray, encourage people today, strengthen people today. Those that are on the road today, the speedies that are on the road today still, 
bless those that are on the road for Labor Day weekend. Father, we thank you for this church, this building. Father, we thank you in Jesus' precious name we pray these things. Amen.